Good morning, everybody. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? Amen, amen. This morning, I'm going to talk to you on the subject, Christians and the AI revolution. Christians and the AI revolution. I'm going to read to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning at verse 14. I'm going to read a few verses and then skip down and finish this up. The scripture says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with him, with them. Now what happens next is the guy with the five comes and says, look, you gave me five. Here's five more. I got 10. The guy with the two says, look, you gave me two. Here's two more. I got four. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Father, I pray today that you speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This week I've been meditating on this parable and I see it in a little bit different way. I've always focused, I've preached this parable many times before over the years, and I've always focused on the statement of the man with the one talent at the end. I knew that you were a hard man. I knew you to be a hard man. I even preached a sermon called Hard Man Theology. The guy said, I knew you were a hard man. You reap where you have not sown, meaning you're always taking what's not yours. I knew that you just want to take from me, that that's what the Christian faith is about. Is God just kind of shaking you down and looking at your life and saying, what you got that I can use? I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. So here's what's yours. The problem was the man did the bare minimum. And that's true. That's valid. That is a major component of the parable. But the part of the parable that I missed is the fact that the master deposits his goods with his servants expecting them to leave his household with those goods and go out into the world and engage the financial system of the world and trade with them. The one with the five went out and traded, went out into the marketplace, went out into the financial system and traded with those five, which means he took a risk. And the one with the two went out into the marketplace and traded with those two, which means he took a risk. But the third servant with the one was afraid. Afraid of leaving the master's house. He just wanted to sit in the church and sing Kumbaya. He knew the master said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. But he misunderstood what it meant to love the world. He thought it meant Do not be a part of the world system in any way, shape, or form. 
Stay away from the marketplace. Stay away from business and technology. There is a, there is a trend that goes back for hundreds of years in the Christian faith. That for some reason we tend to believe, and I do not know why, that in order to be godly, you must be old-fashioned. That the definition of righteousness is to abstain from anything current. You got to sing old school music. You can't sing anything current. And if your music sounds too much like the music of the world, it's ungodly. You got to abstain. And whenever there's something new that comes out, the church always preaches against it. When the automobile was first invented, pastors preached against it across the country. I read one sermon where a pastor said, if, now the first automobile traveled 15 miles an hour. And the pastor said, if God had intended us to travel at such breakneck speeds, he would have created us with wheels. Breakneck speeds of 15 miles an hour. The automobile was seen by some as the mark of the beast. How many times have I heard that one? It's the mark of the beast. We're so afraid that something might be the mark of the beast or might be evil that the church tends to wait 20 or 30 years before we engage with it because we want to be godly, so we abstain from it. I want to write a book one day about the mark of the beast, and all I want to do is just look in every century and see what the, prom what the prominent ideas of what the mark of the beast were. With no commentary. They thought the mark of the beast was this. They thought the mark of the beast was that. They thought the mark of the beast was this. They thought the mark of the beast was that. The whole point of that book, by the time you get done reading it, you'll understand one thing, that we are terrible at identifying what the mark of the beast is. That we have not been right yet in 2,000 years of history. Now, this sermon is about AI. I'm going to talk about AI and the Christian faith. AI, for those of you who are not aware yet, is artificial intelligence. And this year, an artificial intelligence revolution has begun. And the adoption curve of it is off the charts. It's out of control. The beginning of this year, end of last year, we had GPT-3, chat GPT-3. Begin, a couple months later, we had 3.5. Now we've got GPT-4, which is worlds better than 3.5. Chat GPT-4 can pass the bar exam, can, get its can pass the medical license exam. Like, it's incredibly intelligent, and it talks to you like, a, like you're talking to a human person. Within a year, it's going to change the world so radically Matter of fact, one of the areas where it's going to change the world is customer service. I'd say within one year, two years max, if a human person answers the phone when you call customer service, you're going to say, can you please connect me to the AI? Because the AI will be better serving you than, the, than a human person will. And there's a lot of fear around AI. And the more I talk to Christians, the more I hear the fear in voices. And yes, 
there is going to be an evil side of this thing. Technology is always used for both good and evil, but technology itself is never either good or evil inherently. It's how you use it. And so many of us are afraid to use it for good because we see how people use it for evil. And so we tend to, we tend to say, well, I better stay away from that because it can possibly be used for evil. Well, if that's the case, then you can't use anything because anything can be used for evil. Clothing can be used for evil. I could take off this shirt right now and strangle somebody with it. So you say, well, if it can be used for evil, I better not wear it. Anything can be used for evil. The Christian faith itself has been used for evil. Now, trust me, this is a sermon. This is not just a pitch for AI, okay? So stick with me. I know what you're thinking. First it was Bitcoin. Now it's AI. The pastor always got something that he's pushing. I'm not pushing it. Here's what AI is going to do. The revolution, what it does is it makes information and expertise widely accessible. What does that mean? What it means is what used to take years of getting higher graduate degrees to do something, now you can do it with a little bit of knowledge and chat GPT. Matter of fact, I have zero coding knowledge or experience. I couldn't write a line of code to save my life. But I have used ChatGPT to write programs that work. Because it writes the code. You just tell it what you want, and it writes the code for you. So expertise in that realm is now available to everybody. It can edit books. It can, trans it can do translation. I use it to help my daughter with her homework. Not to write essays for her. Once again, it can be used for evil. We were, on the re we were on the way to school, and she's like, I got to do this history exam, but I don't know the answer to this essay question. So we typed it into ChatGPT and said, give me a one-paragraph answer that an eighth grader could understand. It spit it out. She read that a few times and then went in and took the test, and she aced that question. It can be used for so many different things. And the question is, it's going to start taking jobs, right? Yes, it is. It's going to take the jobs of people who don't know how to use it, who don't learn how to use it. It's the, uh, an average person with knowledge of how to use ChatGPT is going to become far more prolific than an expert who doesn't know how to use it, right? So I do think we should use it. But this is the whole point of the message today. The AI revolution has begun, and it's not going to stop. It's going to get crazier and crazier and crazier. I mean, just the stuff that's going to come out, like I could see within a year, there's going to be an earpiece that will do translation for you. You can talk to somebody who speaks Spanish, and it'll translate and speak English in your ear. They'll have one in their ear. You can speak English. It'll translate and speak English or speak Spanish in their ear. And people who speak different languages will be able to communicate with one another. Can you imagine coming into this church, and everybody gets an earpiece, and you just select the language you want? And it'll talk to you, it'll translate the sermon into your particular language. That, do you know that technology already exists? 
Like it's just a matter of the application of that technology. All of the, all of the technology already exists. It's the application of it. It's going to get crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier. The question is, when something becomes widely accessible, it loses its value. Follow me. I'm going somewhere today. I promise. I have a spiritual point. If somebody invented a powder that you could buy that, that packet of powder, dig a hole in your backyard, pour in charcoals, sprinkle the powder over the charcoal, bury it, and come back in a week, and all the charcoals turn to diamonds? Imagine that. Guess what would happen? Diamonds be, would become accessible to everyone. Imagine everybody wakes up tomorrow morning and digs up a pile of diamonds. Guess what happens to diamonds? They lose their value immediately because everybody's got them. When something is rare, it is highly valuable. When something is widely accessible to everybody, it loses its value. Do you know what would be highly valuable? The powder. <laughs> the powder would be worth more than the diamonds. What AI does is it makes expertise and information available to everybody, accessible to everybody, which devalues it. Information and expertise are going to lose value. So if the, the question is, if everybody has access to information and expertise now, then what's valuable? So think about this. Let's say you're a tech company, and instead of hiring $300,000 a year engineers, you now can hire interns with a basic knowledge of computer science who are both good at using AI to write code. So they both have the same level of expertise because they have access to the same technology. And you're, you're going to hire one of the two of these. Which one are you going to hire? You know which one you're going to hire? They're, they're both equal. In terms of their output, they're equal. You're going to hire the one with the better personality. You're going to hire the one that you wouldn't mind being around every day. You're going to hire the one that you would rather talk to. Which means what will grow in value is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. The things that Christians are supposed to exude. The stuff that those who are Christ's, those who belong to Christ, th this is what's supposed to characterize your life, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are going to become increasingly valuable. In other words, what the AI revolution will do is make the stuff that AI cannot do more valuable. The stuff that AI can do is going to be so widespread that nobody's going to care about it anymore. You can get on AI right now and say, write me 52 articles on this subject. It'll write them. You can put them on a blog. Guess what? The world is going to be filled with all of that noise, and nobody's going to care about it anymore. Because the stuff that everybody can do with AI is not going to be worth much anymore. But you know what's going to be rare? Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit of God. 
In other words, this is once more an opportunity for the church to have its finest hour. This is once more an opportunity for those who belong to Christ to rise above the noise. This is one more opportunity for the king. See, there's so much fear about what it's going to do to the church and what it's going to do to the Christian faith. And we're getting to the place where it's going to overshadow. No, no, no. Jesus, listen. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is no technology out there that's going to make the church irrelevant. There is no technology out there. And yes, you'll be able to get on AI and say, give me a sermon on this subject. And guess what? It'll give you a sermon on that subject. Matter of fact, there's text-to-voice technology now. So you'll be able to say, give me a sermon by by T.D. Jakes on this subject. And it will generate a sermon that T.D. Jakes is preaching with his voice. But I guarantee you there won't be any anointing on that sermon at all. Because do you know what's going to be in short supply? The presence of God. The power of God. The spirit of God. The love of God. The wisdom of God. The understanding of God. This can be the church's finest hour. And so I believe that Christians should use AI. Figure out how to use it to advance, figure out how to use it to do better, figure out how to use it to make your life easier, figure out it's a tool, use it, figure out how to use it to the glory of God. Figure out how to use it to fulfill your mission, to empower your mission, to make things easier for your family, figure out how to use it, but in all of your figuring out how to use it, prioritize the stuff that AI cannot do. Prioritize the prayer closet. Prioritize your time in the Word. Prioritize your time in worship. Prioritize growing. See, one of the worst things you can be is a bitter, angry, a-hole Christian. Forgive my French. I just believe that there's certain things that Christians should just fundamentally be. We should be happy. We should be nice. Right? We should be cordial. We should have joy. The joy of the Lord should be our strength. We shouldn't be overly judgmental. We shouldn't be building ivory towers around ourselves. That, in other words, there's a constellation of relational characteristics that are supposed to characterize every believer. Remember what Jesus said, John 13, 35. By this all men will know that you're my disciples. How? That you love one another. How seriously do we take that? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Let me tell you something. Your excellence at work is going to become accessible to everybody. Everybody's going to have access to excellence in the workplace through AI. But what's going to cause believers in Jesus Christ to stand out and what's going to cause the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be glorified is if we live like Jesus lived, you know, love one another as I have loved you. I don't want us, there's two extremes that I want us to avoid. I don't want us to miss the AI revolution. 
I mean, this is the early adopter stage. And the quicker you get on, the better. And we can be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. Just sit in the church and sing Kumbaya and the world passes us by. And we're suddenly like the man with the one talent. I came to Bible study every week, but I didn't go out and trade with the talent that the Lord gave me because I wasn't willing to take a risk. And I was so afraid of participating in an evil system. Oh, push yourself to the next level. Ask the Lord to show you, to open doors for you. We need the most brilliant minds to come out of the church. I believe that the most brilliant minds are coming out of the church. I believe that the most innovative solutions are coming out of the church. I believe that God is raising up new business ideas from the church and raising up new entrepreneurs from the church and raising up people who are going to change the world are going to come out of the church. I, be I truly believe that. And so we want to avoid the extreme of being so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. But at the same time, we also want to avoid the extreme of being so sucked into this system that we forget the things that are truly important. That we serve a king who is greater than AI, greater than any technology, greater than any movement that this revolution will come and go, and the next one will come. But there's a Jesus revolution that's been going on for 2,000 years. And we want to make sure that we're riding the wave of that Jesus revolution. The most valuable thing that you can do, and this has always been true, but in this moment it's more true than ever, the most valuable thing that you can do is to make a decision to grow in your relationship to Jesus Christ. <laughs> Somebody just broke into her purse <laughs> and stole something, took something out. <laughs> or there was a fire up in there. <laughs> All right, that's all I got for you today. <laughs> I'm going to do something that I haven't done before. I'm going to take a couple questions. Um, it'd be nice if it was on this subject, but if you got another question, I'll take that too. Okay, shoot. That's okay, go for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the question is about the Sabbath. And actually, that, that does pertain to this subject because her question is, Sunday is not the Sabbath, so why do we worship on Sunday instead of the Sabbath, which is Saturday? The commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's actually 
connected to this subject because Seventh-day Adventists at one time, and maybe some of them still believe, that worshiping on Sunday is the mark of the beast. And so the question is, why do we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday? Well, the answer to that question is because Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday. And so Sunday, from the time of the early church, was called the Lord's Day. They worshiped on the Lord's Day, which was the day of the resurrection, which means every Sunday service is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's the foundational historical answer to that question, that the early believers worshiped on Sunday, they gathered to worship on Sunday, as a weekly celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could you imagine the first Sunday after the resurrection? It's like seven days ago, he arose. That's crazy, right? It's like, you know, imagine like being so close to the actual historical event of the resurrection. Secondly, the, 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 the second level of that is the apostles would teach that it doesn't matter what day or what time you worship. That you're actually supposed to worship 24-7, 365. We could have a Wednesday night service. We could, we could worship on Friday mornings at 6 a.m. It would not matter what day or what time we gather to worship because Jesus says to the woman at the well, you know, yeah, you guys think we should worship here and we, other people think we should worship here. The day is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. When you'll worship neither on this mountain or that mountain and by implication on this day or that day. But the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So in other words, the Father is not looking for worshipers who worship on a particular day. The Father is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And so it's about the quality of our hearts, not about the day of the week. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. No, because they need to hear you online. That's why she's giving you a mic. Okay. Uh, uh, there's all these movies about AI becoming sentient and yeah. having their own thoughts and feelings and all that. Do you think in the progression of AI that they... Uh, even AI would come to know, want to understand, and love and worship Jesus Christ. <laughs> and what do, what do you, do you have any yeah. idea of what we should do there? So AI does not have a soul. It's a computer. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of movies and, like, there's this theme in Hollywood about, like, cyborgs wanting to be fully human, or robots thinking they're human, discovering they're not human, being devastated, and then wanting to be human. And so that kind of leads to these existential questions of like, is that going to be like, honestly? I mean, number my, my fundamental answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. But the one thing I can say is that AI, artificial intelligence, is exactly that. It's artificial, meaning it's not real. It's not human. What makes us human is that we have a body, a soul, and a spirit, not just a mind and intelligence. So there's this whole idea that if you can implant the consciousness, the memories, the information of someone's history and life in another being, you can kind of, you know, like that whole idea of like uploading or you upload your consciousness to the cloud up there, basically creating your own sense of immortality or heaven. You cannot transfer a spirit 
and a soul. The spirit and the soul, only God can create. So even if they learn how to clone human bodies, and even if they learn how to give it a brain or whatever, you can't create, only God can create a soul and a spirit. And so that, that is something that at the end of the day, only God is the creator. And secondly, Jesus died for human beings whom God created, right? So the cross is about the incarnation. Jesus becomes human because he gives his life for human beings. Does that make sense? So yes, there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff out there. I mean, AI, yes, I do think we should use it, but we should also be aware that it's, it's going to places that at a certain point, we're going to have to pull back from some stuff. That's true. There was a question over here. Oh, and then Michael, you had a question too. But we'll start with this question over here. Over there. Sorry, the young lady with the, yeah. Okay, so you said that like AI could like, even if we like, you know, start cloning humans and stuff, but since you said that God is the only creator, wouldn't that be sinful for us humans to kind of mimic the creator by creating clones using AI? In a sense, yes. I mean, there's this sense that we're always trying to build the Tower of Babel, right? We're always trying to build the Tower of Babel. We're always trying to become God. Like that is the fundamental drive of human nature is to take the place of the creator or to exchange the glory of the creator for the glory of the created thing. We want to be immortal. We want to create immortality for ourselves. And so, yes, there is a degree to which like trying to clone human beings, I think there could be some, there could be a good side to it. Like maybe they'll, they'll be able to grow a new lung for you if your lungs have collapsed. And that might be a good thing. Like maybe you might need a new lung. You know, for, for medical technology, I think they'll be able to cure cancer. Like I truly believe like so, some of these things, I mean, if you think about what technology can do today, what medical technology can do today and go back a hundred years ago, it was, it's, they, they wouldn't believe it if you told them. I mean, 100 and 120 years ago, you realized 50% of childbirths ended in stillbirth. And when they learned germ theory and doctors started washing their hands, that, you know what I mean? It's like, for simple things to us, like, they weren't washing their hands? No, they weren't. And they were delivering babies without washing their hands. And they were shocked that so many babies were dying. You know what I mean? So, so yes, there, there is a degree to which these technologies are the human attempt to replace the creator or to become the creator. And, but... The de degree to which that is sin is judged by God because God looks at the heart. Man is looking at the outward appearance. God is looking at the heart. And so there's a fine line between saying, I'm going to stay away from the whole science of this thing because the whole thing is idolatry. And saying, well, I'm going to look and say, how can I participate in this without compromising my convictions and my faith in Jesus Christ? How can I participate in this to the glory of God? And these are, these are complicated issues. And there's no easy question to it. But once again, I mean, think about this. Daniel. Daniel worked for the most wicked institution in human history. Babylon. We, we, we don't stop to think about that. Daniel was a high-ranking executive in the most wicked institution in human history. Babylon. 
He worked right under the CEO, King Nebuchadnezzar. So how did, but yet he's one of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel. So how did that happen? Well, I'll tell you why. Because every morning he'd get up and he turned his face toward Jerusalem and he prayed. And every day at lunchtime he came home and turned his face toward Jerusalem and he prayed. And every night after work, he came home and turned his face toward Jerusalem and he prayed. In other words, he said, God, you've got me working for the most wicked institution in human history. How do I remain righteous in the midst of the most wicked institution in human history? I must prioritize my walk with you. Amen? I must prioritize my walk with you. Michael, and then I think we probably should close it. It's getting late. Oh, you don't have a question? Okay, I'll take one more. Jesse. Okay, she's, he's bringing you a microphone. There we go. Thank you. It was a follow-up to the lady's question about the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. It seems like in church history, the Sabbath and the day of worship were two separate days. When did they conflate, and how do we today keep them separate? Because it seems the Sabbath is God's gift to us to rest, right? Not to come to church and worship. And for those of us who serve, it's actually work, like yourself. And so I think... The follow-up to that is, how do we not conflate the two, have a Sabbath, and then have a day of worship? Yes, the Sabbath for the early church very quickly became a principle. The Sabbath, which was the day of rest. Matter of fact, the, the Hebrew rabbis would say that on the Sabbath, God, God actually created something on the seventh day. If you look at the, six, the seven days of creation, on the first day he creates, right? First day, second day, third day, sixth day. And then on the seventh day, he rests. The rabbis would actually say on the seventh day, God created rest. That's what he created on the seventh day. The cessation from labor. That's how the Jews were commanded to keep the Sabbath. No work in it shall you do. You don't do any work in it. Jesus does crazy stuff like heals on the Sabbath. And the Jews actually ridiculed him for that, the Pharisees. This man breaks the Sabbath. Moses commanded that a man picking up sticks on the Sabbath should be stoned. But Jesus said, one greater than the Sabbath is here. So he sets himself above the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? He sets himself up. And in fact, Jesus presents himself as our Sabbath. Come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Sabbath. Sabbath is not a day for us. Sabbath is Jesus. Right. Now, Sabbath continues to be a principle for us, meaning if you are working seven days a week, there's some idolatry in there because you think everything has to be done by your power. And so it is definitely very wise to take a day of the week and don't do any work. What do you, and what would they do on the Sabbath? They would sit and they would meditate on Scripture. It was a time for them. And remember, it was called the affliction of the soul. In it, no work you shall do. You shall afflict your souls. Stop. Cessation of work is an affliction of the soul because everything in you is going, ooh, I need to do this. Ooh, I need to do that. No, 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 no. You're going to trust the Lord. You need to rest. You need to, de to deliver it to the Lord. And, but this is where Jesus says, come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest.
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is right, and you will find, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Does that make sense? Awesome. All right, I think that's enough. <laughs> Amen. We should do that from time to time, huh? Amen. Amen. Next time we do it, I'm going to take, uh, take questions from, the, um, from online as well in the chat. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't even think to, to, to ask that. Matter of fact, if anybody has a question, I'm going to close and pr- No, 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 we won't do it this time. We'll do it next time. Let's pray. Jasmine, would you come and just play if you're still here? Father, thank you so much for your people. Thank you so much for your word, which is from everlasting to everlasting. I thank you, Father. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of the 666. We don't have to be afraid of the mark of the beast. We don't have to be afraid of the world. Loving not the world or the things in the world. It simply means to make sure that we're walking in the love of the Father. And so we prioritize your love today, Jesus. You are our rest, our Sabbath, our peace, our life, our strength. Today we've gathered in this place to recognize the immensity of the value that nothing is as worthy, that nothing is as lovely, that nothing is as wonderful as knowing you. Paul says, whatever was to my profit, I count loss for the excellency of knowing Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness that is of my own. So I speak your blessing over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. Strengthen your people today and grant peace in Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Amen. God bless you today. Have a wonderful day. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. May his favor be your shield.